my name is Keith Christensen. I am a pastor in Fort Worth. I've been working with CBCD uh, training biblical counselors for the last seven years. And this session is about the biblical doctrine of sanctification. Uh, perhaps you're thinking, uh, we just spent the last hour talking about a lot of different doctrines. Why do we need to spend another hour talking about just this one? And the reason is, is that sanctification is what biblical counseling and discipleship is mainly about. So evangelism aims at a person's conversion. Discipleship and biblical counseling aims largely at a person's sanctification, growing as a Christian. So if you're going to disciple and counsel people biblically, you especially need a biblical doctrine of sanctification. And there are many errors uh, regarding sanctification that are alive and well today that really do hinder true growth in the Christian life. And responding, uh, it's a hinder to responding Christianly to the issues of life. So we need a more biblical and precise doctrine of sanctification. It will make you a better counselor and discipler and mentor and spiritually minded friend. Uh, So let's pray. I, I invite you to sincerely pray with me and let's ask God to give us that this next hour. God, please renew our minds and give us a more biblical and precise and comprehensive and full understanding of what your word says about sanctification. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. First things first, what does this mean? The meaning of sanctification. In the Bible, the word sanctification means being or becoming holy. Uh, This comes from the Latin sanctus, which is the word for holy. The English word sanctification literally just means holyification. If English uh, took some different turns in history, this lecture might be called the biblical doctrine of holyification. But that doesn't exist, so we're talking about sanctification. Uh, Similarly, the verb to sanctify means to make holy. And and actually, the Greek word in the New Testament that's translated sanctification is the same word that's translated holiness in many verses in the Bible. Well, okay, there's no use defining a Bible word we don't understand with another Bible word we don't understand. So what what does holy mean? Uh, Usually, people define holy. Holiness has been set apart, but, but we often just think about one side of that. There's two sides to it. To be holy means to be set apart from sin, but also to be set apart for God. And that's why the word sanctification in the Bible, the Greek word underneath it, is sometimes translated as consecrated. Set apart for God and His sacred purposes. This, this is also why, like in the Old Testament, there's some furniture that's called holy Like, why is that lamp holy? Is it loving someone? Is it witnessing to someone? No, it's consecrated. It is set apart for God and for his purposes. So holiness is not just about what you're set apart from, but what you're set apart for. Or as your notes have it, holiness is not just about being different from the world. It's about being devoted to the Lord. That's the change we're aiming for in sanctification. It's not, it's not simply becoming a better version of you. Um, 
It aims at becoming more consecrated to God. Not, not just growing more moral in your actions, more stable in your emotions. It is growing up into this biblical reality that you as a Christian are not your own, but you've been bought with a price. So glorify God. That's biblical sanctification. As J.I. Packer put it in his uh, work, Concise Theology, sanctification is an ongoing transformation within a maintained consecration. And it engenders real righteousness within the frame of relational holiness, being set apart for relation to God. It's a moral renovation, the state of of within the state of being permanently set apart for God, who through Christ purchased and claimed us for himself. Okay, how does God do this? Or how has he? Or how will he? There are different aspects of a believer's sanctification. And the, speak, uh, the scripture speaks of sanctification in three tenses. Wait, anyone want to guess? Past, present, future. Very good. If I would, I would text your uh, middle school English teachers if I had their numbers. <laughs> past, present, future. Okay, first, Scripture speaks of past or positional sanctification. Positional sanctification. And this means in Christ we are already perfectly holy in our standing or position before God. He calls us saints, which means holy ones. Hebrews 10.10 says, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So there's a sense in which, Christian, your sanctification is done. And the moment you became a Christian, you gained a new identity as a saint, a holy one. You were devoted to God. You were set apart for Him. You have a holy status before him because of what Christ's death did for you. It's a holy status that can't be added to. It can't be taken away from. It cannot be undone. And that's why verse 19 in Hebrews 10, a little later, says what it does. It says, we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Okay, well, how could we, who still have holiness we need to grow in, have confidence to enter the holy places? was because by the blood of Jesus, we are sanctified positionally. We are consecrated. We are considered holy by God. Now, that is true for every Christian, uh, even the most troubled believers you'll ever meet. If, If I were to ask you to name a church in the New Testament who had a lot of problems, I said a church in the New Testament that had a lot of problems. No one call out your own church, okay? What's a church in the Bible that had a lot of problems? Corinth, Corinth. I like, I heard a lot of them. Yeah, all of them did, right? But Corinthians, the Corinthians were Christians who needed counseling. Uh, they had issues. They had big ones. Okay? We all need counseling, right? Uh, all, of, all of the letters of Scripture are full of biblical counselor because we're all uh, still growing progressively as we're going to see. But okay, even to Corinthians, here's my point. How does Paul address these very troubled believers? You know what he calls them? Sanctified ones. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Paul writes, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. 
Then he calls them saints, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus. The, the least holy Christian you know, if he is a true Christian, he is perfectly holy in his position before God. Washed all the way, cleansed all the way, forgiven all the way, consecrated all the way, set apart for God's special purposes, set apart as God's special dwelling place. Later in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul Paul tells the Corinthians, God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You are God's holy space on earth. You are the place on earth God has sanctified in Christ. And do you know why Paul reminds the Corinthian believers about their positional sanctification? It's so he can say, now go live like it, right? Now grow up into that identity. Okay, you need to learn then to minister this truth, even of our past and positional sanctification, because this truth should seriously affect the ways that we seek to grow and change as Christians. The ways that we seek to grow and change as Christians, though, especially pertains to the next aspect of sanctification, our present progressive sanctification. And be forewarned, okay, this next section is what we'll focus on most of our time this session. So you're going to spend a lot of time on page two of your notes, okay? Don't let that stress you out. We're talking about our progressive sanctification. Here in Christ, We are progressively becoming more and more holy in our character and lives. So so we are becoming in practice what we already are in position, holy. We're growing up into the identity we have before God. And in fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, right after it says, you have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. In verse 14, it says, by a single offering... Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So the people who are already holy in position are the ones who are presently being made holy in practice. And and so a couple chapters later in Hebrews 12, it tells believers to strive after holiness. Or your Bible might say, strive after sanctification. Now, here's another verse that you should know. 1 Thessalonians 4. Turn there in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians 4, especially verse 3. It tells us very directly and concisely. This is useful, telling us what God's will is for you, for every believer. Every believer you counsel, every believer you befriend, every believer you disciple or ever meet. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God for them. It says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness. No matter what the person you're trying to help is going through or struggling with, you can look them in the eye and say in all earnestness, I know what God's will for you is in this situation. And you don't have to be that creepy about it, right? But, but I mean, you could say that. And you could say, but, but I'm not going to be weird. I'm going to quote scripture. It's sanctification. This is God's will for you. God wants you to be holy. God wants you to become more holy. God wants you to be set apart from all sin in this situation. God wants you to be devoted to Him above all in this situation. And it's clear in in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, he, He gets specific 
about sanctification in a particular situation. It's applied first to holiness and sexual morality. Again, look at verse 3, the whole thing this time. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. But notice he, he keeps coming back to this call. God is calling you to sanctification. It says that you abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness or in sanctification. Now look down at verse 7. Again, he says, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness, in sanctification. Okay, I want you to also see in this chapter that these Thessalonian Christians, they're being called to progress in sanctification, even though they, unlike the Corinthians, Paul says they're doing really well. He told them in chapter 1, you guys are exemplary. And here in chapter 4, look at verse 1. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing. You guys are doing great. You're pleasing God in how you live. But now watch this. Look at what he says next. Still, we urge you that you do so more and more. Progress still more. Excel still more. You're called a progressive sanctification. That is true for you, even if you are now living in a manner that pleases God in many respects. Scripture urges you to grow more. And he he says the same counsel. Look down in verse 9 of this chapter. Verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. I'm doing it right now anyway. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. God has called us to sanctification. Okay, this makes it kind of easy for for us as counselors, at least in this respect. God's will for Christians who are doing really well is the same as his will for Christians who are not. Sanctification, increase in holiness, make progress. So if you put these first two points together, um, on the one hand, Christians, maybe who are really struggling in this season, like the Corinthians, they are still completely holy and sanctified in their standing before God. And they may need that hope and encouragement. And, and then on the other hand, Christians who are in this season really exemplary in a lot of ways, like the Thessalonians, they still need to grow. They need to make progress in practical holiness more and more, and they need that exhortation. Okay, next. If progressive sanctification is the will of God for every believer, we should expect it it will be, in some measure, the experience of every believer, and it is. Progressive sanctification begins at regeneration, the new birth, and every believer experiences progressive sanctification sanctification at some level. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. 1 John 3.9, no one born of God, regenerated, born again, makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So the true believer can't just abandon himself to a life of sin and be completely like he was before. 
God's Spirit abides in him, it will bring him to repentance eventually. In Christ, we're, we're made new. We're regenerated. Hebrews 10 says, God writes his laws on our heart. That, that's, the why, that's the reason Christians grow in sanctification at some level because they want to. Because God has given them a heart that's inclined toward his law. Progressive sanctification is part of the salvation God gives in Christ every time. God doesn't give halfway salvations. Now let's be clear about this. Christians will grow and change at different rates. Christians will grow and change to different degrees. But Christians will grow and change at some rate, to some degree, and according to the scripture, where there is no change at all, then there is no Christian. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And who did he say that to? Which church? The Corinthians. They had a lot of problems. They, they were sinning in ways that, made you, that makes you say, yikes, I didn't realize Christians could sin in these ways. Christians can sin in major ways. But they were still new creations. In some sense, they, they weren't completely like they were before. Uh, John Newton, maybe you've heard this, the uh, famous, famously converted English slave trader who also wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. He said, these are close to his words, okay? Not an exact quote, not an exact quote. But you can look up the, you can look up the quote and you'll be like, oh yeah, that's really close. All right, this is what he said. He said, I am not what I should be. I am not even what I could be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope I will be in another world. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, which is not what I used to be. Amen. When you look for the signs of sanctification, you don't look for perfection. You just look for progress. And, and the true measure of progressive sanctification, it doesn't come from comparing one Christian to another, but from comparing one Christian to their former selves. So next point in related, progressive sanctification continues through the entire Christian life. It won't be completed until this life ends. First John has been a book some have misunderstood as teaching that a kind of Christian perfectionism is attainable in this life. And, and that's a misunderstanding of verses like the one I read earlier, 1 John 3, 9, which said, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Well, one reason we know that doesn't refer to complete victory over sin in this life is because of what John wrote in chapter 1 of the same book. And in 1 John 1, 8, he said, if we say we have no sin, we... Deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And so John, John explains after that, part of what it means to live like a real Christian is that we confess our sins instead of denying that, that we have it. We, we keep repenting. We keep trusting in the work of Jesus. That's First uh, John 1, 7 through 2, 2. Now, another scripture I want you to turn to. Look at Philippians 3. Turn to Philippians 3. Here, the Apostle Paul offers himself as an example that progressive sanctification won't be completed in this life. Now, to set the stage for what he says, that I hope will really drive home this point, 
I want you to consider how much progress in sanctification the Apostle Paul had made when he wrote Philippians. This is a man who could honestly write in chapter 1, I'm, I'm quite fine with dying because Christ is better than life to me. This man could honestly write in Philippians chapter 3, everything else is dung compared to knowing Christ. This is a man who could honestly say in, in Philippians chapter 4, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. This is some serious sanctification, right? And yet, and yet, he says in the plainest terms, I still need to grow. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So clearly we learn there's there's no perfection in progressive sanctification to be had in this life. And someone, unless you could stand up and, and honestly say, yeah, I'm actually a lot farther along than Paul was when he wrote Philippians. And you can't say that. Now, be careful about how you respond to this fact. I think probably everyone in here would, would without hesitation, sign their name above the first part of verse 12. I'm not already perfect in Christ. Well, what about the next part? Is this true of you too? Not perfect, but I'm pressing on to make it my own. Pressing on there is actually the same verb used earlier where he said, when I was an unbeliever, I persecuted the church. I mean, the fervor and focus that he's saying I'm running after, growing toward perfection and and holiness in Christ. When we realize we will not be perfected in this life, we're wrong if if we respond to that by not still striving for holiness in every area of our lives. So some Christians need to lower maybe their expectations for how much holiness they will attain to in this life. But no Christian must ever lower the standard of holiness that they're aiming for and striving for or lower the effort that they are putting forth in pursuing that like Paul did. And if you want to mature as a believer, if you want to be a mature believer, you have to think like that about progressive sanctification. If the people you're trying to help are going to mature as a believer and be mature believers, they have to think like this about progressive sanctification. And I I say that because the Bible does in the next verse. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If you're mature, you will think like Paul did in verses 12 through 14, which means you can't be a mature Christian unless you know that you still have a lot more maturing you need to do. But this should also be encouraging to you. If you will take on this mindset with the Apostle Paul, if you'll own how much progress you still need to make in Christ, and if you'll resolve to press on toward that growth in holiness then you will become one of the people described in verse 15. Counted among those who are mature. Next on your notes, though perfection is not possible in this life, significant progress and maturity is. 
So even though our sanctification won't ever be completed in this life, the the New Testament does talk about enduring Christian immaturity as if it's a problem. (laughs) Paul told the Corinthians, I I shouldn't have to talk to you like baby Christians, but but I do. And, And in Hebrews, the author tells the Christians he's writing to, by this time you ought to be teachers. But, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of, of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. And then I think he makes it clear he's not just talking about their doctrinal understanding. He's talking about their sanctification. Because he said you're unskilled in the word of righteousness like a child. Solid food is for the mature. Who are the mature? Those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Even in their sanctification. So he says in Hebrews 6, 1, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Go on to maturity. Perfection's not possible in this life, but maturity is. And so scripture, you know, says, let's get on with it. This is, this, this is a convicting truth. This should also be a very hope-giving truth to you. Right? Hallelujah. Progress is possible. This is wonderful. Maturity is possible. We can change. We can mature. Every Christian can grow up and be mature in Christ. Paul said in Colossians 1, 28, he said this, this was his goal. He said, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, to, to think scripturally about how that can happen, you also need to know this, that Christians typically mature and change little by little, one step at a time, or as your notes have it, th- this is going to blow your mind. Progressive sanctification is progressive. The word progressive, you see the word progress. It's a, this is a process of continual progress. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Underline that reference on. That's an important one. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. But listen how. From one degree of glory to another. From glory to glory. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So in progressive sanctification, Christians change one degree at a time. Okay, this is, this is practical. If you remember this, uh, I was meeting with counseling with another, uh, with, with a sister in our church, with another mature sister in our church. And, you know, she was sharing things she was struggling with. She's a pretty new believer. So I was hearing a lot of stuff that, you know, she needed her mind renewed about. And I think probably earlier in my tenure as a biblical counselor, I would have thrown the kitchen sink at her. I would have given her everything I've got every session, you know, trying, okay, I'm hearing a lot of things. I'm going to say a lot of stuff, but you know what? Progressive sanctification is progressive. We change one degree of glory to another. So that's not, that's not (laughs) that helpful. So I just picked one thing, two things. Okay, let's talk about this. I'll give you homework specifically related to this. We're going to try to apply this truth and we're going to grow one degree at a time. Now, here's another thing related to this point. Um, Christians are often, or, or people, I guess, generally, are, are just often look, looking for shortcuts. You know, silver bullets, um, like, like 
shoots and ladders, you know that game? Looking for spiritual shoots and ladders that will enable you to make just a bunch of progress in holiness, a fast and easy way. You don't have to take this slow, one degree of glory at a time kind of route to maturity. You, you know that board game, right? Is that still around? Okay. All right, there are no shoots and ladders in progressive sanctification. It's progressive. There are various versions of this kind of error. A believer thinks they need to have this one single experience that will like catapult them to the next level spiritually. It's like, uh, or the video game Mario Brothers, right? It's like you're a little Christian walking around, but then you find this like spirit, this key, the spiritual mushroom, and that makes you a bigger, more capable Christian. Like instantly, you're more sanctified and more sanctifiable. Well, well. So, what are some of these? Some maybe it's some people say it's like a second work of grace. A grace that you don't have access to when you get converted. Or maybe it, maybe it's an experience of the Holy Spirit that not every Christians have or get when they're converted. Maybe it's some kind of spiritual warfare deliverance moment. Maybe they just, maybe they need to come to this point of absolute surrender that they haven't come to before. You know, just fully give the situation over to God. Fully give yourself over to God. And if you did that, you wouldn't have to struggle like you do anymore. You, you would zap up. And live a higher Christian life. You see, you see how all of those are different versions of the same basic idea? That there's this one experience that will instantly unlock huge progress in sanctification. And you're just doomed to kind of lose the battle against sin until you get this. Uh, there's no quick fix. So not this on the left. This is in your notes, I think. You know, you're kind of... You're basically just struggling. You're in idol as a Christian until you have this experience or blessing or moment of surrender that propels you to live a higher Christian life. And boom, then you can grow. But no, actually, progressive sanctification is progressive and it, and it looks more like that from one degree of glory to another. Now, when, when I say this, I, I always feel the need to, to add, I don't mean to, to like disparage the testimony of some Christians who they feel like, well, I mean, I see that, but actually in my life, I feel like my life is kind of like that. Like there was this moment in my life where as a Christian, things changed really quickly, really rapidly. And, and it felt like in an instant. And, and I'm, what I want to say is praise the Lord. That, that is neat, but that's not normative according to the Bible. That's not what every believer should expect. That's not what believers should aim for as the way to grow. And that's not how you help others grow in discipleship, counseling, or, or spiritual friendship. Progressive sanctification is one degree of glory to another. But here's the good news. Every believer is able to grow this way. Every believer has the Holy Spirit from Christ. So every believer has the power and the efficacy, the achievement of the death and resurrection of Jesus at work in them, available to them. If you are a Christian, you already have, you already have everything you need to grow and change and mature. So repent and trust Christ and ask for power to change and start striving after holiness. Ephesians 1.3 is a, is a good verse to remember it, it says, blessed be God and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, every Holy Spirit blessing 
in, in the heavenly places. So I, so I think the promise of Scripture is that every believer's efforts to grow, grace-empowered efforts, right, faith-fueled efforts, Christ-centered efforts, they, they will be fruitful to some degree. And in the final verse Peter wrote in the Bible calls us to pursue that. It, he doesn't say find the higher life. He says, in effect, take the next step. Second Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow. Now, the great hope of the Christian is this next aspect of sanctification. When a believer dies, they are instantly perfected in holiness in their character. This is future or perfected sanctification. In Christ, we will be perfected in holiness after this life. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And Paul sounds the same note of surety to the Philippians. He says, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. He even told those troubled Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.8, God will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love what Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says about this. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with, with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy, sanctified, and without blemish. And you know what? Jesus is not going to fail to do that. Every member of his church, he is going to present to himself in the splendor of perfected sanctification. No blemish, no spot, no wrinkle, no such thing. And this was God's purpose for his people before the world ever was. Ephesians 1.4 says, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And I'd encourage you to learn how to minister this truth also. A believer's future perfected sanctification. This gives great hope and motivation to pursue progress and holiness now. It reminds us we are not fighting a losing battle in striving after sanctification. This is going to end up in sanctified splendor in the day of Christ Jesus. How encouraging to know this, to remember this. Now, the next main point on your notes and and clearly we're not going to be able to develop these as fully as we have the previous ones but that's okay these next truths are important but spoiler alert a lot of these you're going to go deeper in in later sessions but i still think it's good to consider these quickly in this session so you can start to see how this all comes together and and contributes to a, a somewhat comprehensive doctrine of sanctification so Moving more quickly now, let's think about the aim of sanctification. You could say the goal of sanctification. Our growth in holiness is for the glory of God. When you grow in holiness, the point is to be a greater reflection of God's holiness. 
of, of his glorious character. The Bible says, be holy as God is holy. Hebrews 12 says, God is working in his children, training them, disciplining them, so that we will share in his holiness. Ephesians 4.24 teaches that the new life we receive in Christ, we're created after the likeness of God in true holiness. So sanctification is about growing in the image and the likeness of God, growing in godliness, godlikeness, growing more holy, not just generally speaking, but as He is holy. And from that, from that vantage point, you can see that actually progressive sanctification, that really is, that, that's part of how God is fulfilling the purpose for which he made humanity in the first place. To be his image bearers, to fill the earth with reflections of his glory, for the praise of his glory. We need to remember this is the aim of sanctification. If, if you and I, if your friends and your counselees are going to grow in true holiness... This has to be the aim of it. The, the ultimate reason why we're seeking to change. Why we're make, trying to make our lives more in line with the Bible. You know, it's possible for someone to try and make their lives more in line with the Bible and not have this aim. But that's not true holiness from the heart. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, another related aim of sanctification is our joy in knowing God. I think this is clear in the Bible that the real prize for us, if we are made holy, if we're set apart as holy, what's the prize? We get to be with God. We get to be in his presence, to dwell with him, to know him, to enjoy him. Remember, sanctification is about being set apart for God or to God. Or Packer, it's righteousness within the frame of relational holiness. And we need to keep going back to this truth too, that, that our growth in holiness is for our joy in knowing and serving Him. Again, biblical counseling. This is not just about helping people become better people in some vague sense. It, it, it's not just about helping others feel better or feel better about themselves. This is a radically God-centered enterprise. Because the Bible is, and, and reality is radically God-centered. This is a ministry about helping others grow and change to the end that they might glorify and enjoy God more. Don't ever lose sight of that. That's what true sanctification has as its aim. And when that's your aim, there, there's a specific pattern or blueprint for you to follow, to reach it. This is next on your note, the pattern of sanctification. Conformed to the image, conformity to the image of Jesus. The specific blueprint of sanctification is Jesus Christ. Christ is the holiness of God in human nature. And the Bible repeatedly affirms He is the specific pattern of sanctification. Romans eight, twenty nine. It's a good one to circle. It says those whom God foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, when Jesus returns, we shall be like him. 
We will see him as he is. Even the final transformation of our bodies, the the completed sanctification of our bodies, set apart for God in the splendor of holiness. Christ is the pattern. Philippians 3.21, the Lord Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I mean, it's, but it's not just our future perfected selves. The G, conformity to Jesus is the pattern of sanctification. Also, progressive sanctification. Now, Christ is the pattern. Uh, explained in scriptures like 1 Peter 2, 21. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. So you would follow in his steps. Uh, Ephesians 5, 2. Walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us. So if Christ is the perfect image and glory of holy God. We can only pursue sanctification in his steps, following him, likeness to him. Now, the specifics of Christ-like sanctification are also fleshed out wonderfully, sufficiently, in the scriptures, which Christ fulfilled. And so this also, we recognize, is the pattern of our sanctification mapped out by obedience to the commands of scripture. Now, you've probably already talked about 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tonight. Does that reference sound familiar? All right. Scripture is God-breathed and and sufficient to to train you for every good work. All right, let's translate that into the language of sanctification. The Bible is sufficient for every Christian's whole sanctification. Here's another verse that's good to that end. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments... This is the whole duty of man. That's amazing. All that God made man to be, the whole of God's purpose for humanity, everything that is your true duty before God in every situation is found in God's commandments. It's in Scripture. That, That is your confidence as a biblical counselor that the whole duty of man is right here. That the commands of God show you the specifics of sanctification for every situation. Now, here's something very important to add. That, that, okay, Christ is not just the pattern that we're aiming at, not just our example in sanctification. Even more importantly, he is the Savior who redeems us and enables us to be free from sin and to become more holy like he is. So here we come to the grounds of sanctification. And, and here are the grounds. Here's the basis of you being able to grow in holiness. Jesus lived and died and rose again for you. That's it. That's why you can change and grow. And you, according to Scripture, as a believer, you have died and rose again in union with Him. So what he did counts for you and all the power and achievements of of his death and resurrection are at work in you. So it's union with Christ in his death and resurrection. Now I expect some of your upcoming sessions are, are going to go deeper into this too, but no biblical doctrine of sanctification is complete without saying this. So let me say a few things about this and, and start by summarizing on your notes, believing the gospel, Christ and his work is just as essential for growing as a Christian, sanctification, as it is for becoming a Christian, justification. Romans 6 is a big key text here. 
Romans 6 says, Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And we've been raised with him to walk in newness of life. Okay? So on the basis of our union with Jesus in his death and resurrection, Romans 6.11 commands Christians, this is the first command in the book of Romans, they, they need, essentially, you need to believe the gospel in an ongoing way with respect to your sanctification. It says, Romans 6.11, you must consider yourselves. You must count yourselves. You must believe this by faith about yourself. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus died for your sins and rose to God. You're united to him by faith. And therefore, it says, let not sin reign in you. Present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. This is so important. You've got to learn this biblical logic. How the gospel of what Jesus has done grounds growing as a Christian. Now, I've put a couple of long quotes on your notes that we don't have time to read now. But I'm really, really happy at the thought of you reading them later and how much you will benefit from them. You will, uh, it'll help you think even further about this, that the gospel... And, and believing it, Christ's work, is important for your growth as a Christian. Sanctification as well. Next, building a biblical doctrine of sanctification, we also need to consider the agent of sanctification. Growth in personal holiness is the work of God working in Christ by the Spirit. So, so our sanctification, every step of it, Every degree of glory that you change, you grow. It's the, work of, it's the work of the whole Godhead. All the members of the Trinity. But the Bible especially appropriates the work of our progressive sanctification to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit applies the salvation the Son accomplished. His death and resurrection. And, and that's why we can actually grow in real righteousness. Just a couple of scriptures to make this point. Romans 8.13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Once again, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Uh, th- this is the verse that we're beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. And the verse ends by saying, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Every new degree of glory comes from him. And so the next line on your note says, all growth in holiness, any godly change is the work of God in us. As Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the van, the van, the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then Hebrews 6. Remember Hebrews 6, 1? That was the verse that said, let's go on to maturity. And then Hebrews 6, 3 says, this we will do if God permits. It's all the work of God, our maturing in holiness. 
It's all the Spirit applying the work of Christ to us. Yet, but, you have to believe that. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that you don't have great responsibility to pursue this growth in holiness, pursue this progress. So next on your notes, this is the call to sanctification. Though sanctification is always the work of God, Christians must not be passive in it. So not, not let go and let God. That kind, a kind of passive approach to sanctification. It's actually a very popular conception, but it's not the biblical doctrine of sanctification. Instead, Scripture repeatedly calls believers to put great effort into their sanctification. Remember Philippians 3, Paul said, I press on. Like, I zealously run after holiness with the same kind of zeal that I used to zealously chase down Christians to persecute them. 2 Peter 1, 5 says, Make every effort to increase in faith, virtue, self-control, godliness, love. 1 Timothy 4 says, Train yourself, discipline yourself for godliness. Like an athlete disciplining their body. And he says, for this, to this end we toil and strive. Now, here's a reference I need to fix. It says Romans 9, 24 through 27. That's about the mystery of God's providence in saving Gentiles and Jews. Okay, that's, that's the wrong reference. It should be 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And there Paul compares living the Christian life to maximum effort stuff. Running a race... Uh, like a self-controlled athlete exercising, running hard to win the prize, even to a boxing match. He says, I discipline my body. But, but the Greek more literally is, I, uh, I give my body a black eye. It's like he's saying, I, I punch my flesh in the face so that I don't disqualify myself. It, it, all right, it's, it's a metaphor, okay? It's, this is not self-harm. He's talking about the effort he's putting forth in putting sin to death and pursuing holiness. Okay, the Christian's call for sanctification calls for great effort. But keep that in proper balance. Next on your notes. But we recognize God is the one working in and through our efforts to grow and minister. And again, I messed up one of the references. See, see this? We all, we're all in progress here. The first reference, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Not 13 and 14, 12 and 13. And Paul says there we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But we do that because, or for, next verse, God works in us both to will and to work with his good, for his good pleasure. Colossians 1.29, Paul says, I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. All right, here's how I tried to summarize this in your notes. We, thus, we must strive after growth and fruit. We must do that, making all effort, but always do it while abiding and trusting in him, not in a self-reliant way. Um, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. Unless the Lord sanctifies the man, the man strives to sanctify himself in vain. Self-reliant sanctification won't work. And it won't bring about the real change you won't. It won't be true holiness from the heart. Now, last, and, and I'm quite sure these themes will come up in later sessions, but to give you, again, the, bit, the lay of the land on this doctrine, let me close. The path of sanctification. And, and you know what? Here's, the, uh, here, here's part of the sweetness 
of the biblical doctrine of sanctification. Just like there's no rapid-fire shortcuts, just one degree at a time, the path of sanctification is not some fancy thing you've never heard before. It's ongoing repentance and faith in Christ, first of all. Keep confessing your sin, turning from your sin, trusting in the death and resurrection of Christ for your forgiveness and for power to change. Believe it and make progress as you are trusting and relying on that in an ongoing way. Next, diligent use of the ordinary means of grace. We, we can only grow by the grace of God, but God has ordained certain means through which he ordinarily gives us grace with, with which we can grow. So ordinary doesn't mean that, that this is not a supernatural thing that God's giving us this grace. It's just ordinary. This is, this is what God has promised to give us grace through. He hasn't promised you're going to grow in sanctification by watching a beautiful sunset. So we may, but, but the ordinary means of grace, God has ordained and promised that he will give us grace to grow in these ways, through the word, sanctifies by the truth, your word is truth, prayer, and the church. And included under the church would be fellowship with other Christians, what the church does when it gathers, the preaching of the word, the corporate prayers, the ordinances of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, the discipline and accountability of the church, the shepherding of the church, experiencing the one another commands of the church, ordinary means of grace. Now, maybe, maybe part of the problem is the first word in this sentence, right? Diligent use of the ordinary means of grace. And then finally, the path of sanctification is just the wisdom of God's good providence. How God sovereignly ordains your circumstances, orders your steps. And in God's providence, it extends to everything that comes up in your life. He's, he's sovereign over all, and, and he has promised to work in and through all things. Yes, for your sanctification. Romans 8:28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And the next verse, verse 29, explains specifically the good that God causes all things to work together for good. And it's our growth and sanctification, our Christ-likeness. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And then also in God's providence, he works especially in and through trials and suffering to mature us and make us more holy, more like Christ, for his glory, for our joy in knowing him. Psalm 119.71, the psalmist says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. So that's the biblical doctrine of sanctification. I would be happy to speak more at length with you about any of this. I know we had to fly through, especially the last three pages, uh, but I hope you're encouraged and equipped by this. Let's close in prayer. God, I pray that you would encourage and equip all of these saints. Uh, equip them to be able to pursue sanctification and holiness in their own lives with greater faithfulness and more in line with what your word says about it. And equip them uh, to be able to be used of you 
in greater measure and to be more zealous to be used by you in greater measure to also help other Christians grow and change and mature for your glory and the glory of your Son, in whose name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.